Would you turn with me this evening to scripture that we've been looking at for some weeks now in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5 and in verse 12. Romans 5 and verse 12. He said, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. How many understand that death is not of God? That sounds strange to some people, you know. You'll even hear people talking about, you see a 10-year-old. That got killed and and somebody said, well, you know, God took them in death. That's not correct. I said, that's not correct. God is not a thief. He's not stealing young sons and daughters from their families. Did you hear me? And he doesn't use death. Death is his enemy. First Corinthians 15 says. I know that sounds foreign to some people, but you know, it helps to read your Bible once in a while, doesn't it? (laughs) Death, the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15 says, is the enemy of God. It's the last enemy that shall be put underfoot. How many are glad that soon and very soon there will be no more death of any kind? Think about it. In a short amount of time, there will be no more hospitals, no more funeral homes, no more cemeteries. The flowers won't die. The animals won't die, trees won't die, and you won't die. Won't even age. How about that? We're going to look so good. Oh, we're going to look so good. You know, in the ages to come, I'll come by your mansion or you come by mine. And some of the first things we'll say is, man, you look good. (laughs) And you say, I know it. And you do too. Whoo, we look so good. (laughs) In uh, the next verse, he goes on to say, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin's not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who's the figure of him that was to come. Death reigned because of sin. But if you skip down to verse uh, 17, He said, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Reign in life. Is that talking about us? Are we supposed to be reigning, ruling and reigning, not just when you get to heaven, but where? In life. Well, he said death reigned because of sin. But now because of the abundance of grace and because of the gift of righteousness, you and I are supposed to reign, reign in life. Sin's not supposed to rule over us, right? The curse is not supposed to rule over us. We're supposed to reign in life. Now, if this is your first time to be with us on this series, it would have helped you if you'd have heard everything that went before, because we've covered a lot of ground. And we went back to the beginning and saw that God created us to have dominion. 
And we saw how that Adam and Eve lost that dominion. But oh, how that God had a plan to get it back. (laughs) And Jesus came. And he has conquered sin and death and the enemy. And they've been spoiled and brought to nothing. And under our feet. Right? And Jesus said before he left, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Then he turned right around and said, so you go. (laughs) You go. And you preach the gospel. You lay hands on the sick. You cast out demons. Right? Have we been authorized? Have we been empowered? Has authority been given us by grace and by righteousness? Should we be the devil's doormat? Should we be victims? Should we be constantly overcome? Or are we more than conquerors? Have we been made overcomers in this life to rule and reign by the anointed one? Jesus. That is the plan of God. That is the inheritance and right of the believer in Jesus. But sadly, so many are not ruling and reigning. Many, many, many Christians are just biding their time till they can get out of here. They're praying, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Maybe now. Come before in the morning. (laughs) Why? Because I owe money. You do understand that's the way a lot of Christians are. I mean, they, you know, please come quickly, Lord Jesus. But it's not for the right reasons. Yes, we say come quickly, Lord. But how many understand that he is coming back and he's supposed to find a glorious church? He said, occupy till I come. That's not a church that's down for the count. Right? A church that's bubbling through its busted nose, laying on the canvas going, please, Jesus, get me out of here, get me out. Nah, it's a church with her foot on the devil's neck. Saying, we've been expecting you, Lord. But while while we were waiting, we were occupying. We've been ruling and reigning just like you told us to. Right? That's the plan of God. That's the perfect will of God. Even if you haven't been experiencing it, don't knock it. Don't deny it. You know, so many times people read the word and then they water down the word to match their experience. That's why they explain everything away. That's how whole denominations have gotten to where they've gotten. Well, the day of miracles has passed. Why? Why? Why did you come to that conclusion? Because they haven't seen one. Well, you know, speaking with tongues is not for everybody. That's all passed away. Why do they say that? Because they don't speak with tongues. Did you hear me? Well, prosperity is not for everybody. Healing's not for everybody. Why do they say that? Because they've seen people that didn't get healed. They hadn't got healed, right? And so every time people fail in an area or fail to receive, they make a new doctrine. <laughs> and water down the Bible to match their lack of experience. Don't do that. Don't do that. All of us, that's why we read the Word continuously. All of us, you're going to come across things in the Word that you don't have. Right? right? You're going to be reading along. I don't care how blessed you are. You're going to be reading along and go, hmm, I'm not there yet. I haven't seen that yet. I haven't had that yet. Right? So then what do you do when you see that? Don't water it down. Don't explain it away. Don't look for somebody else that don't have it either to agree with you. Say, Lord... (laughs) This is the word. 
this is right. This does not change. Lord, elevate my life to match this. Bring me up. Bring my experience up to this. What I don't know, show me. What I don't understand, teach me. Bring me up to this. And he will. May not happen in a night or a day or a week or two, but he will if you'll stay with it. Can you say amen? Amen. Glory to God. Well, y'all are a pretty easy bunch to preach to, I'll tell you that. Not bad at all. Turn with me, please, to the book of James, the fourth chapter. And let's get into some things tonight that's very important concerning reigning in life. Reigning in life. James chapter 4. Now, we've looked at this previously, but let's look at it again, go into some more detail. James 4 and verse 6. In fact, let's just pray a prayer right here and release faith with me for utterance. Father God, we thank you for everything you've already done for us tonight. You're so good to us. We acknowledge that your Holy Spirit is our teacher and your word is life to us. We reverence and we rejoice over your word like he who finds a great spoil. And we say, Lord, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, even as we've asked before, and let there come exactly the word for now and the revelation for now. And we purpose not to be hearers only, but we, by your grace, will be doers, doers of the word. And as we do, we know we'll be free and blessed and increased in Jesus' name. Amen. Said out loud, I'm a doer. I'm a doer. I'm a doer. Of the Word of God. God. Right. James 4, 6. Says, but he gives more grace. Wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore. So all this goes together, doesn't it? If you humble yourself, God gives you grace. If you're haughty and proud, God resists you. I don't want to be resisted of God, do you? He said, submit yourselves therefore. So humility and submission go hand in hand. And how many understand that uh, pride and rebellion goes hand in hand? Humility is the nature of the master, Jesus. Pride is the nature of the devil. Don't you remember Jesus said, come learn of me, for I am what? I'm meek and lowly of heart. It's sad that in our modern generation, people despise meekness. In their minds, if somebody's meek, they're weak. And nothing could be further from the truth. It's the proud people who are so weak. So many times when people get mad, when people pitch a fit, they talk so hard and they try to be strong. It's to cover all these insecurities. And it takes a lot more strength to humble yourself than it does to blow your top. Any sinner down the street can yield to pride. Right? But the nature of the devil is pride. 
he, you know, he tried to exalt himself. And he said, I will be like the most high. I, and he tried, see, he was around God who knows how long. But he knew the faith principle and the speaking principle. That's how God operates. That's how he creates. And so the enemy, he tried to do that and get above God. He tried to usurp God about what he thought he was. I will be like the most high. Well, faith works. And putting faith in your words works, but not against God. (laughs) Right? He tried to confess his way above God. I will be like the Most High. I will. And God said, you will be brought down. How many understand when an unbeliever's words hits God's words, when the dust clears, there's only one set of words remaining. Right? (laughs) So before you blast out on your confession, you need to make sure you know something in this book here. Right? Don't speak against what he said. You'll be, yeah, shut down is a good thing to say. It's a nicer way to say what I was thinking. Uh, <laughs> you won't come out good. James 4, he said, because of this, because God resists the proud and because he gives grace to the humble, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil And he will flee from you. Now everybody read that seventh verse out loud with me please. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Say it again. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Say it again one more time. Submit yourselves therefore to God. To God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How many understand resisting the devil and him fleeing from you sounds like part of ruling and reigning in life? Right? And it is. How many understand that you don't wait till you see something in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork show up at your door to resist it? Anything that is a work of stealing and killing and destroying, the Lord Jesus said in John 10.10, that's the thief. That's the devil, so resist it. You resist thoughts of temptation. You resist the curse. You resist sickness. You resist poverty and lack. You resist unbelief. You resist all these things, they're works of the devil. And he said you resist it and what would happen? Well, that's not him reigning over you. That's you telling him to scat. And he gets. Right? That's you ruling and reigning. But notice what comes first. What comes first? You submit yourself to God. Use the understood subject there. Submit yourself to God. So we must talk about this. Now you know I, I've taught about submission for decades. I haven't really taught it here at the church, but I think we'll get to it at some point. And uh, I don't have a schedule, you know, I've had people say, why don't you teach on this? And why don't you teach on, I don't teach on what I want to. So why should I teach on what somebody else wants to? (laughs) Right? No, we endeavor to be led because the Lord knows. He knows what's the most needed now. He knows what's the most significant right now. 
But uh, the Lord dealt with me about this thing early on in our life and ministry. And oh, <laughs> the further I go, the more I see how important it is and why he dealt with us so strongly about it. If you are not submitting to God, what's going on? If you're not submitting to God, what would you be doing with God? You'd be rebelling, right? I mean, if he says, do this, and you say, nuh-uh, I don't want to do that. No, I don't care. I'm not going to do it. So what are you doing now? You're rebelling. But you're also yielding. You are submitting. To who? You're submitting to the one that is tempting you. Right? The enemy. Well, if you're submitting to the enemy, how does it work for you to just stand up and say, no, no, you got to submit to me, devil? He said, well, you were just submitting to me. <laughs> Do you see this? No. If you're submitting to him, you are not in the place or the position to resist him and him flee from you. That's why first it says you must what? Submit yourself to God. Then you resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Now go with me if you would please to the book of Matthew. Matthew the 8th chapter. Are you believing God with me tonight? <laughs> you know I, I come to service. Sometimes I think man. Why would you study so much? Because you got all these notes and all these things. You can't possibly cover it all. But the Lord helps us, right? And you're believing with me, right? That we won't go too short. Are you concerned that we might go too short? And that we won't go too long, right? But we'll do what? Just right. Just right. And that's all of us together are a part of this, believing for this. Uh, In Matthew 8, you see a perfect example of the principle that we're looking at. Matthew 8. In Matthew 8 and verse 5, Matthew 8, 5, when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came to him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. So he, he had physical problems and he was in a really bad way. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. How many understand that Jesus never said, I won't? Never. He never said, I won't heal. He never said, it's not my will. He never said, it's not for you. He never said, not now. Never. It's only people in their religious tradition that have created these doctrines because they failed to get results. Did you hear me? No, what did the Lord always say? I will. I will. Be thou healed. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only. Now, we spent a session a few weeks ago about how we rule. The Bible says that Jesus is the king of kings. And there are numerous places in the New Testament that refer to us as kings. We're the kings he's king of. 
And how do kings reign? They reign with their words. King wants a ditch dug. He doesn't have to look for a shovel. He doesn't have to pick up a shovel. How can he get a ditch dug? Just say it. Just say, let the ditch be dug. And somebody runs for a shovel. Is that right? Well, that's how we're supposed to rule and reign in life is by words of faith, words exercised in authority of Jesus' name. Now, he said, he said, if you will just speak the word only, my servant shall be healed. Not might be, not we'll see. He said, if you'll just say it, it'll happen. And he said, now he tells us now why he says this. For I am a man, what? Under authority. What does that mean? I have superiors over me, superiors in rank. And I know how to take orders. And he said, I also have soldiers under me. He has people that are under him in rank. And I say to this man, go, and what happens? Not sometimes he goes and sometimes he don't. No. See, the Roman army is one of the most highly disciplined in the world. And I mean, when your commanding officer told you to go, you didn't even think about not going. You didn't have a discussion about going. What'd you do? <laughs> You're gone. Right? Go. He said, I tell this man under me, go. And what happens? He goes. And to another, come here. And what happens? He's there. I tell my servant. Now remember, who was it that was sick? It was his servant. I tell my servant, do this. And what happens? It happens. You know, we live in such a loose, lax society. Where people's words don't mean anything. And we are, I know, you know, sometimes it, it doesn't, we, we're not seeing it as clearly, but we were in large measure damaged as a people by the rebellion of the 60s and 70s. Did you hear me? A lot of times we don't realize it because, you know, you don't see the whole picture, but we lost some stuff big time. As a people. And so much of it has not been regained. More has been lost. People don't understand respect. They don't understand honor. And the problem is. The way you are with people. Is how you are with God. You cannot separate it. You can't say. Well no. no, I love God. And I submit to God. But not to any man. Don't work that way. I said it doesn't work that way. Oh, I love God with all my heart, but I can't stand being around people. Now, what the Bible say, if you don't love your brother and you say you love God, you're a liar. Is that what 1 John says? Well, see, that is true concerning thing after thing after thing after thing. You show me somebody that loves God, I'll show you somebody that loves people. You show me somebody that's respectful to God, I'll show you somebody that's respectful to people. You show me somebody that's sold out to God and submits to God, I'll show you somebody that knows how to be loyal and submit to people. 
Now, folks don't like it to be that way, but that's how it is. And people like to think, well, nobody really knows about my relationship with the Lord. We can see a whole lot of it. (laughs) We can see a whole lot of where you are with God. No, we don't know your heart, but your life comes out of your heart. What you do and what you don't do. In fact, I was doing a study here recently on the word uh, serve. The Lord's led us to have service teams. And those words are significant. Going through the scripture again on it, I'm seeing so many times the same word is translated worship. Worship. People have a very limited idea of what worship is. You know, like for instance in Romans, it talks about presenting your body a living sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable. That same word's translated worship. And when we talk about I worship God, that's not just for a few minutes standing in the church with your hands up. You worship God in your service to God every day and every night. So these service teams are really worship teams. But it's not just standing singing. We got to get our minds renewed, don't we? How do we know you love God with all your heart? You can see it. It comes out. You lay down your life for people. If you love God, you love his kids. Amen. And know what First John said? You love God, you love his kids. And you submit to God, you submit to people. Now, do you understand where we come from on this? Is if you don't submit to God, then how are you going to rule and reign in life? It's not going to work. If you're submitting to the enemy, you can't turn around and say, okay, you got to submit to me. Well, you were just yielding to him. How does this work? How do we know who's submitting to who when? No, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. And this man, you got to understand, he did not see Jesus as the Son of God. Very few people had any inclination that he was the Son of God. If you read the scripture, it says some people said about him, he was a good man. Others said, no, he's deceiving the people. Some said he's a prophet. Some said he's got a devil. It's talking about Jesus. So at best, he saw him as a prophet. But he believed he was anointed of God, sent of God, and him being a man who understands structure of authority, he respected that. Didn't he? And he told him, he said, you don't have to come to my house. You don't have to lay hands on this boy if you will give the word. Because I understand orders. He's a career soldier. He understands. He's a centurion. You don't get to be a centurion by being a slacker. He's a leader in the Roman military. He said, when my superiors tell me something, it's done. When I tell my people under me something, it's done. And if you'll just tell this sickness to leave town, it'll be done. He's acknowledging you have authority. I believe it. You have authority over sickness and disease. And all you got to do is give the word. And look at what Jesus said. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. Now, how many understand it takes something for Jesus to go, wow. How many understand not just anything is going to impress Jesus. But he turns around and goes, Wow. And he tells his staff, now I don't know how blessed they were by it. 
But he tells them, he says, you know, I haven't found this great a faith in the whole nation. Well, his disciples were in the nation too. (laughs) Right? All of his stuff. So people sometimes try to make faith too hard. It's simple. You don't have to know every scripture to have faith. You don't have to pray night and day to have faith. But what you do have to have is some respect for God. You've got to have some respect and honor for his word. And when he tells you something, you don't go, yeah, but Jesus, I know that's what you said. But then it feels like this and they said this and so and so. See, no respect. And that's why people don't receive. When the Lord tells you that all your needs will be met. But you go ahead and cry and worry and pace the floor all week. It's because you don't respect him. And lack of respect equals lack of faith. Do you see this? Do you see this man had great faith. What else did he have? Had great respect for authority. True authority. He had respect for it. Oh, friend, do you see this? We're, are you getting this? Great respect. I'd like for you to pray with me about this as this comes up in your heart. The Lord's given me a directive. I've had it churning in my heart for some months now. And I, I'm just believing for more revelation. And I'm believing for the right time and the way. But he has charged me to teach the church. And I know you understand it, but there, there are a lot of tapes. As soon as these are burned off tonight, they, they're mailed all over the place. We got a lot of people, pastors, that, that, are, that are waiting on these. And so the Lord is bringing out revelation, and we're stewards of it. We're supposed to watch over it. But a charge to teach the glory of God. The glory of God. Now the same word translated glory is translated honor. And it means heavy. What's the opposite of heavy? Light. Do we live in a generation where a lot of people, everything's light. Everything is just, ah, not a deal. You know. Oh, they're just singing. Right? Oh, they're just passing the plate. No big deal. You know, some people have not understood. We've told our ushers, you know, during certain times of the service, there's not supposed to be any movement in certain places. You know, we don't want a bunch of food and stuff coming into the auditorium. And and sometimes people say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, I won't make a mess. Well, the big deal is lack of respect. You feel for the people because a lot of times they're not trying to be malicious. They were not taught as children. And the reason they weren't taught is their parents weren't taught. Did you hear me? And we've got successive generations now who do not understand honor and who have none. They'll talk just any way to their leaders. And it starts as a child in the home. Go with me, why don't you, to uh, the book of uh, Ephesians. And let's just camp on this a little while. Are we still talking about ruling and reigning? Do you see the significance? Good. Ephesians. Did you understand what I just described to you a few minutes ago? Would you believe with me for utterance for these things? These things are holy. 
I know in my heart, God desires to manifest his glory. He desires to manifest his presence in some wonderful, awesome ways. But one of the big hindrances is a lack of respect for the things of God just in general. I know I had the privilege of uh, serving under Dr. Kenneth Hagin, my spiritual father, for 20-some years. If I heard him say it once, I probably heard him say it hundreds of times over the decades, that the key to the greater move of the Spirit is reverence. Reverence. He said, we suffer from a lack of reverence. And people usually get in the ditch on one side or the other. Some denominations, they think reverence is being depressed. And so everything's got to be slow and dead. And they call that reverence. But then people have climbed out of that ditch and then run right across the road (laughs) and got in the ditch on the other side of the road. And oh yeah, there's noise and there's movement, but they lost the reverence on the way too. Well, why can't we just do this? And why can't we just do that? And people act like they're, you know, at uh, Disney World or something. Let's have a big time. Well, yeah, let's, you know, when you're in the presence of God, you're going to have a good time. But there's so much flesh, even where the gifts of the Spirit are concerned. A lot of folk are just playing with the gifts of the Spirit. So much of it is flesh. And there's a lack of respect. And you can see people, I mean, when there's a tongue and interpretation or there's a prophecy. I've been given a prophecy. And right in the middle of it, everybody start doing this. So what's wrong with that? Everything. You're interrupting the Holy Ghost. And it's just not enough respect. We applaud men. We worship God. Did you hear me? We praise God. And this level of reverence holds us at a low level of manifestation of God's presence. Y'all believing with me on this? I believe you can sense it, but there's utterance to express it. Let's go on to Ephesians. We read in the fourth chapter. And in the fifth chapter, in verse 21, he starts talking about submission. Practicing submission, all of us. And then, verse 22, he talks about wives submitting to their husbands. And he talks about husbands loving the wives. And in the end of that chapter, in verse 33, he said, uh, See that the husband love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she what? Reverence her husband. And then he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. What's the next word? Honor. Do you see the theme all through here? What is it? Respect. Reverence. Honor. You know, Phyllis has taught extensively on wives submitting. And, and I've talked about, you know, anything that is true concerning the wife submitting to the husband is true for the husband submitting to whoever he's supposed to be submitting to. The principle is the same. And people, I mean... <laughs> It's so politically incorrect, incorrect, to use the S word. 
submit. Right? Churches don't want to hear it. But people have not seen the big picture. They just look at people and go, well, why do I have to do what they say? You don't. Nor do you have to do what God says. No. And in true godly submission, no one is making you do anything. Did you hear me? It is completely unscriptural and ungodly to try to make somebody submit. Did you hear me? No. I never tell Phyllis, woman, submit to me. Because the Lord didn't tell me anything about her submitting. He wasn't talking to me when he told her to submit to me. The same thing is true concerning the church family. You won't hear me commanding church folks, submit to me as the pastor. Submit. No, my job is to lead. Right? And people will follow if they decide to. Some say, what if they don't? Well, then they won't. But I'm not going to make them and God's not going to make them. But how many understand it can cost you if you don't do what the Lord tells you to do? It can cost you severely. Submit yourself to God, then you're in the position to resist the enemy and exercise authority over him and rule and reign in life. Well, what if you're rebellious? Well, then you're yielding to the enemy. You're not in a position to make him yield to you. Look in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Now, not the first commandment, but the first commandment that had a a blessing promise attached to it that when you do this, you get this. It was the first one that the Lord added and said, now you do this and this will happen. What You honor your father and mother and what will happen, verse 3, it will be well with you. Does that sound like healing? Does that sound like prosperity? Does that sound like ruling and reigning? It will be well with you and what else will happen? That you may live long. Is long life the perfect will of God for all of us? Yeah, Psalm 91, he said, with long life, I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's God's perfect will for all of us. Long life. But something connected with it, and people miss the big picture again, and they just focus on mama and daddy. No, it's much bigger than that. How many understand that's the first people you come in contact with? You're born into the family. Mother and father. You're to be taught and trained that mother and father have a place over you. Are you with me? And you are to respect that place. And you are to submit to that place. And you are to obey them. Now somebody said, well, I'm 40 years old now, Brother Keith. Do I still have to obey mama and daddy? Are you a child? See, he said what? Children. Obey. But how long does the honor go on? Always. No. As an adult, you're not supposed to obey everything that mom and daddy tells you. And wise and understanding mamas and daddies are not going to try to run your life. 
If it was done correctly, they trained you. And in an ideal situation, they trained you how to hear from God for yourself. And they're there for you for counsel and help when you desire it. But a wise and understanding parent is not going to try to run their son or daughter's life. But if the child does not learn to honor, what is the opposite of the blessing? What's the opposite? Not going to go well with them. Not live a long time. Why? Just because you wasn't nice to mom and daddy? That's all people see. No, it's more than that. It's because you did not learn to honor God. Did you hear me? The two-year-old doesn't understand all about a relationship with God, but they see mom and daddy every day. Right? And they should be learning by the way mom and daddy is dealing with them. They should be learning the honor of God. And if they learn the honor of God, they will show that honor to God and to man all their life. And if they do, it will go well with them. And they'll live long and prosper and be blessed. This is not happening on a huge scale. In the church. But we're going to do it. Right? Right? We're going to do it. I'm so glad my parents had some sense in rearing us. Now, they'd be the first to tell you that they didn't do everything right. They didn't even purport to know much about the Word at the time. But they both of them grew up under strong Christian influences in their families. And they heard the Word and they heard things like this. And a lot of it, you know, it's part of your fabric. You grow up doing things you don't even know you're doing a verse. But it was ingrained in you. It was demonstrated in front of you. And one of the big failures in today's society is people have substituted men's ideas and books on child psychology that unbelievers have written. Did you hear me? And every other thing. And there's this big push to be the child's friend. Did you hear me? To be their buddy. To be their friend, and then they act surprised when the child has no problem arguing with them. Well, what is the big deal with arguing with your friend? Did you hear me? And the same thing happens with pastors and congregation, with bosses and employees, with authorities, civil authorities, all the way up and down the line. It's because the people in the place of authority don't respect the place themselves. No, little ones need to be taught and understood. Mama loves you, but mama is your mama. And there comes a point where you say, that's it, not another word, do it. And if they want to argue and talk, you don't. Why? Because your mother told you. Now see, psychology books will tell you, oh, that's not okay, you got to explain it to her. It's so sad. I've seen mothers standing in grocery store aisles with screaming toddlers trying to explain something to them that they're not going to get for another five years. Now, that's just being dumb. 
And you're teaching, you're, you're misrepresenting God. You're misrepresenting, somebody said, what do you mean? Well, does the Lord ever tell people, do it because I said so? And that's the end of it? <laughs> like every day. It's called walking by faith. Right? Well, Lord, why, why do we have to do it? Well, you're not going to get anything else. If you have to see it all, and you have to understand with it all, and you have to agree with it all, then you're refusing to walk by faith, and you're refusing to submit. And so we got a whole generation of folk. Their parents didn't practice it, and their parents didn't teach them, and they don't know it, and they're not teaching their kids. And that's also why people are not ruling and reigning. And why there's such a low level of anointing and low level of manifest presence of God. But we're going to come up. I said, we're going to come up. Now, you don't have to be mean. You don't have to be hard and harsh. But you must come to respect the place God has given you. Now, let me go over this slowly now. If you're going to rule and reign in life. You must, number one, give God his place over you. Right? Number two, you must take your place. You must take the place he's given you. How many believe he's made us the righteousness of God in Christ? He's made us unto our God kings and priests to rule and reign. And whatever else, if he's made you the mom, the dad, if he's made you the boss, if he's made you the pastor, whatever, you must respect that office. And then number three, you give the devil no place. Give God his place over you. Take your place under him. And then make the devil take his place under your feet. Give him no place. In your life. But you understand you're not going to be in a position to resist him like that. Unless you are giving God his place over you. Taking your place under him. It's called rank. And you know. You hear people. With funny ideas. And they're talking about. Well we're all equal. In God. It depends on what you're talking about. Go back to the book of Numbers, please. Y'all believing with me, right? You in a big hurry? Let's get this right and get a part of this settled in our heart tonight to go on to other parts. Numbers. And I believe the 16th chapter is where I want you to go. Numbers 16. Verse 1, number 16, Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, On, Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men, and there rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and they said to them, You take too much on you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord's among them. Wherefore then, in other words, why do you lift you up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? 
Now let's just stop right here. Have you ever heard anything like that? Well, we all have the Holy Ghost. We all are God's people. Who put you in charge? That's what they said. What's the answer to that question? Who put Moses in charge? Is it true that God took this man from among them and put him in a place of authority over them? But they're saying, hey, what they're having is a church split. Do you see this? (laughs) Trying to have one. Do you see the scripture now? They're saying, we hear from God too. In fact, all the congregation are holy. We're all the same. Why do you think you're in charge? Have you ever heard anything like that in modern times? Yeah. But do you know how the story wound up? It made God mad, didn't it? It made him angry. And he told Moses there, and he said, get out of the way. And when God says, get out of the way, you know it's serious. Get out of the way. And he said, you better tell all the people if they don't want to partake of their judgment, they better separate themselves from them. You know, it matters who you hang around and what you participate in. And the Bible said that the ground opened up and Korah and Dathan and Abiram and the 250 that joined him, all their stuff, their spouses, their kids, their dogs, their sheep, their tents went down alive, down out of sight into the ground, and the ground closed up. And basically God said, that's what I think about that. Man, that's serious, isn't it? Serious. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because people have lost the reverence and respect, and don't see things the way God sees them. See, how many understand they were being irreverent to God? God took this personally. When they said, who put you in charge? God heard it and took it personally. Now, let's uh, keep that in mind back up to the 12th chapter. You know, people sometimes say, well, yeah, my name Brother Keith, that's Old Testament. Yeah, and the New Testament tells us that this was written as examples to us, an instruction for us. What are we supposed to get out of it? In Numbers 12, verse 1, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And I said, you think she's black? In all probability, yes. <laughs> the very word means black, if you look it up. And his sister and brother, I don't, you know, it could have had nothing to do with the woman's nationality, but they didn't like the fact that he'd married this woman. I don't know why, but they didn't like it. And they felt like that they could say something about it. So what they say in verse 2? Has the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Has he not spoken also by us? What are they saying? We hear from God too. What's he think he's doing marrying this woman? Who is she? She's not a Jew. She's an Ethiopian. And I don't know what their deal was, but they said, we hear from God too. 
Why does Moses think he's the man? And the Bible said the Lord heard it. And verse 4, the Lord spoke suddenly to Moses and Aaron and Miriam. And he said, you three, come out to the tabernacle of the congregation. Boy, that's like meet me at the woodshed. I mean, that's... <laughs> right? It's like bring me a switch, right? I mean, only a lot worse. The Lord came down, verse 5, in the pillar of cloud, and he stood in the door of the tabernacle, and he called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came out. They came forth. And God spoke to him. He said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision and will speak to him in a dream. How many understand if the Lord chooses somebody and reveals himself to them, that should be respect? Right? I don't care whether you think you like them or not. The very fact that God chose them, right, and did something with them that he didn't do with somebody else, I mean, that ought to be enough for you to say, hey, God likes them, I like them. You know, I served with Brother Hagin for years, and we were in a lot of different situations together. And that's one thing that kept coming to me. The Lord appeared to him in all these visions, such revelation. And, you know, from time to time, I'd think, you know, why him? I loved him and respected him, but you got to remind yourself, why him out of all the people around? There's something about him, right, that pleased God. You know, uh, Peter said that when folks were pitching a fit about the Gentiles getting filled with the Holy Ghost and coming into the church and everything. Peter stood up and he said, now all of you know that a while ago, God made choice that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear. What he's saying is, I've got a right to speak on this. Because God chose me. He could have used somebody else, but he chose me. Now he is, uh, some people might misunderstand and think that's haughtiness and pride. No, it's him respecting what God has done. Him respecting the place God's put him in. That needs to apply right on down the line through every pastor, through every boss, through every department head and leader, and every mom and dad. He could have used somebody else. To be those children's mom and dad. Right? But he didn't. He chose you. You are God's choice. For them. And if they don't respect that. You better well teach them to. Did you hear me? I'm serious friend. We got too much laxness. We got too much junk going on. It is not okay. For your child to back talk you. Ever. Ever. Why? Somebody said, well, I can take it. It ain't about you. It's about it being well in their life and them making it to a decent age. If they don't learn it with you, it gets tougher and tougher the older you get. Did you hear me? I mean, some things that 50-year-olds are just choking and missing God right and left on, it would have been so much easier if they'd have learned it when they were two. But they didn't learn it then and they don't know it now. And as leaders, we must hold people to respect the place. And you may not be able to respect or appreciate everything that a person in authority says or does, but you must respect that place or elsewise you don't respect God. 
who created the place and chose the person to be in the place. Boy, this is so big. Does this have anything to do with the move of God? Oh, have anything to do with the success of children and grandchildren, future generations? Don't you get down on your child's level and disrespect your place. You know, the Bible said a couple of places in 1 Timothy, I believe it is, Timothy is a young man, but he's in a position of leadership because Paul appointed him. Remember that? He's a pastor and a leader in some areas of this church. And he told him more than once, he said, let no man despise your youth and let no man despise you. He said another time, what does that mean? Well, that's not about your personal pride. That's about this office. Paul said in Romans 11, he said, I magnify my office. Is that pride? No, he didn't create that office. He didn't put himself in that office. He's talking about honoring what God has done. And so we must get that in our heart and mind. I must have it in my heart and mind that if somebody doesn't know any better than disrespect the office of the leadership of this church, I'm to call their attention to it. Did you hear me? If your children, they haven't learned enough by now, you're to call their attention to it. You say, no, you don't. You don't talk to your mother like that. And if they stomp off and shut the door, you are not done. Did you hear me? No, you don't talk to your daddy like that. Right? Why? Because you want it to go well with them. You want them to learn how to honor God. If they don't honor you, forget it. They are not honoring God. See, people like to live in a daydream world. Their child talks to them, you know, like they're the pet or something. But then supposedly they love God with all their heart. No, they don't. No. How they treat you is how they treat God. That's the reality. Do you want them to respect God, honor God? Then they must learn to respect you. Is this making sense, friends? Are you? Hmm? I think I told you this, what was it, last Friday, but it will bear repetition right here. The Lord brought something to my attention. I hadn't really thought about it that way. But uh, it actually was in this church. And um, I was down around the front doing something, and a fellow well, he stood over at a distance and he said, hey, hey, uh, preacher, come here. Come here. So I did. I went over and I listened to him for an hour. And I didn't think that much about it. But the Lord said to me just recently, he said, you misrepresented me. I said, did I? He said, yeah. He said, he thinks he can do me that way. Total disrespect. We haven't thought that way. But if you disrespect God's choice, God's anointed, you disrespect God. Right? But when we've got the people themselves, if I don't respect this office, if you don't respect being a mother and a father, then the people that's under that place are not going to respect it. They're going to look at it the way we do. Hold your place here. And go, please, to John, 5th chapter. Can you take some more? Lord, thank you for helping us. 
Thank you for helping us. Yeah, thank you, Lord. I need to deal with that a little bit more. You're turning to two places, right? Well, you didn't know about it, but John 5. (laughs) John 5 to start with, and there's another one in John I want you to look at. This man, the centurion, did his servant have a miracle in his life? Were they ruling and reigning over the paralysis and the terrible, painful disease that was racking this boy's body? Did they overcome that? Did they have victory? But did you see why it could happen for them? Why? Because of this respect and submission that this man brought to Jesus. But then sometimes people don't realize that this servant was not even there. Was he? So how did he get healed? He got healed because of his submission to the centurion. Oh, do you see that? If you don't, don't throw it away. He previously said in the text, I say to my servant, do this, and he argues with me. Huh? Sometimes he does, sometimes it no. How could he be so confident that, Lord, if you'll say the word, he'll be healed? Why? Because he knew he does what I tell him to do. Right? And that's the way that man's heart was. Because of his submission to Jesus and the servant's submission to him, the healing came. The deliverance came. In John 5 and 23. John 5:23 he says that all men should what honor the son even as they honor the father he that honors not the son honors not the father which has sent him can you have the father without jesus no you cannot can you be saved by faith in god but believe that jesus is just a good man No, you cannot. If you dishonor Jesus, you just dishonored the Father. And skip on over to the uh, 13th chapter and you see an expounding on this. John 13 and 20. John 13, 20. He says, Verily, verily, I say to you, He that receives who? Whoever I send receives me. And he that receives me, receives him that sent me. Now he said this in more than one place, in a little bit different ways, but it's about delegation. How many believe the Lord is very big on delegation? And if he sends somebody, he expects you to treat them just like you treat him. Right? And if you don't, he takes it personally. Doesn't he? Don't you remember he gives the parable? And he says, you know, in that day, people would say, I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I I was naked, you didn't clothe me. And they say, when, Lord? He said, in as much as you didn't do it to the least of these, my brethren, you didn't do it to me. And the Bible said in Matthew 10, that if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet. Now, what does that mean? As a prophet of God. What is a prophet of God? Somebody God sent to say something and do something. If you receive them as a sent one from him, he said, you receive the prophet's reward. And he said, if you give to somebody just a cup of cold water, why? In his name, because they're his. 
He said, there's no way you'll lose that reward. It's all about honor, isn't it? It's all about esteem and respect. God makes choice. Now, let me finish this. I won't have you turn back there. But you remember Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They said, God talks through us too. Who put you in charge? And that happened. Well, you think the people would have... Would have seen the light. But the whole bunch rose up and said, you've killed the people of the Lord. Well, they didn't. They didn't make the ground open up. And they pitched a fit. And there was judgment. And people died. And then the Lord said, I'm going to put a stop to this. Go back and read it. Was it chapter 17 or so? He said, tell the leaders of the tribes. To bring me a rod. That's a stick. Bring me a stick. And they laid up all the sticks overnight. Sticks. Now they got nothing on the top. They got nothing on the bottom. All the limbs are shaved off. A stick. And in the morning, one stick was different from everybody else's stick. Right? (laughs) Overnight. With no roots and no soil and no water and no leaves and no sunshine. Overnight, it sprouted twigs and buds and almonds. And Moses picked it up and basically the Lord saying, now I picked this man. Everybody else be quiet. Choice. I've used this example, and it'll bear repetition. People say, well, we, we're we all the same in God's eyes. Well, it depends on what you mean. God loves us all the same. He does. But there is rank in the kingdom of God. And it's to be respected and honored. And if you don't, then you fail to honor God who appointed and created the rank. It's kind of like a family that you got several people in the family that's in the military. Let's say the daddy's a general. Let's say the oldest boy is a colonel. Let's say the middle boy is a sergeant. Let's say the youngest boy is a private. And the youngest girl, she's a private. And when they come home for Thanksgiving, that doesn't mean that uh, the sergeant gets a bigger slice of turkey than the private. When they come home for Christmas, that doesn't mean that the colonel gets more presents than the sergeant. Because this is family. Right? Right. This is family. And they are equally loved. And they have equal rights and privileges in the family. But they're called into service. Did you hear me? And they're on the field. And the general sends an order to the colonel. Calls him to the office. Well, he don't come in and go... Oh, daddy, what you want to do that for? That's insubordination. It's unacceptable. Why? You've got to forget about daddy. This is your general. Right? They're all loved, all equal rights in the family, but in the kingdom, there's rank. And if we don't learn that, we're going to be limited. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website 
at morelife.org.